by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He said it twice. Must have been important. And it's still important today. Rejoice in the Lord always. When? Just when things are going good? Always. And again, I say rejoice. The word rejoice means to feel or show great joy or delight. Well, sometimes it don't, I don't feel like showing great joy. When things ain't going my way. But again, I say rejoice. <laughs> I kind of like to look at the word like this. Re-joy. Stir up again the joy. Redo it. When you lose your joy, rejoice. Because Nehemiah 8.10 says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So re-strengthen yourself when you're getting low, when you're feeling worn out, when you're feeling like you're about to give in to the mully grubs or whatever it is. Re-strengthen, re-joy, rejoice. Today's message is entitled, We Have Every Reason to Rejoice. Sometimes you, you don't say amen loud enough on that. Depends on where you're sitting today. Well, last week I was ready to rejoice, but you don't know what happened this week, Pastor. I used to work with a guy named Barrett. He was single, and I was always teasing him, saying, you need to find a girlfriend and get married to a girl named Gwen. He said, why? I said, so you can Gwen and Barrett. <laughs> he didn't think it was funny. But it's true. Sometimes in life you got a Gwen and Barrett. And rejoice. When I was in my senior year in high school, I fell in love with this little old girl. That was my first love. And it was serious to me. I just wanted to be with her all the time. And we dated for three years. And back when you're in high school or whatever, that's an eternity. In fact, we were together my senior year, and then I went to one college, and she went to another college, and we had a long-distance relationship and still stayed together. So that was how much we were in love. And then we came back together and met again in Memphis. We both transferred back to Memphis so we could be together. I thought she was the one. We stayed together another year after that, and then she broke up with me. I mean, just cut it off. She had seen too much at school or whatever, and Thought, I'm going to find something better. Broke my heart. How many of you ever just had somebody reaching and ripping it out? That's what it felt like. And to top it off, she started about three, four weeks later, she started dating this big muscle-bound meathead, this bodybuilder dude. And we lived in the same apartment complex. She lived in the front, and I lived way in the back. And I worked at FedEx at night. And when I would come in late at night, 
from work, I would see his car parked out in front of my girlfriend's house. And I'm telling you, it was probably the lowest point in my life. I didn't know anything about rejoicing. Well, one day that summer, had my little swim trunks on and went down to the swimming pool down there in the apartment complex and looked up and there was that big meathead and my ex-girlfriend sitting there. Guess what I did? I'm going to tell you later. Y'all hold on. I'm going to finish that story. But we got to move on right now. But I'll tell you, it ain't something you expect. Say rejoice. Sometimes you got to go in and bear it. Anybody read the book of Job? I would highly advise you to pray before you read that book because the first time I read that book, it seemed like everything in there was happening to me and God was giving me an example of everything. I, did, I promised I was never going to read it again, but I do read it now, but I pray first. But if you don't know Job's story, man, that poor guy, it starts off kind of where God's in heaven and the angels are coming before God and giving a report of what's going on. And the devil comes walking up. Now, I don't know why the devil is in heaven giving a report to God, but that should tell you something. Even though the devil's God's enemy and he's down here on the earth and he thinks he's fighting against God, he's still got a report to God. God's still in control. So the devil comes before God, and God says to the devil, he says, what you been doing? Now, I'm just paraphrasing, all right? <laughs> what you been doing, devil? The devil says, well, I've been down to Georgia looking for a soul to steal. I'm in a bind. I'm way behind. I'm ready to make it a deal. Now, that's a real big paraphrase. I'm, shrink that down a little bit. No, he really said, well, I've been walking to and fro on the earth. And God said, have you noticed my servant Job? He's an upright man. He always does what I ask him to do. And the devil said, well, yeah, because you bless him. Look at him. He's got everything he could possibly need. Of course he's going to, you know, be obedient and bless you. Well, God said, all right, devil, you can take his stuff. Just don't harm him. The devil said, cool. So the devil comes down there, and in one day, I'm, I'm talking Job was the richest man in all of the land. He was the most honored man. He was the smartest man. He raised his kids, right? He had beautiful kids and a beautiful family. He had everything a man could want on the earth. He was the most impressive man because God pointed him out, you know. He was a man that followed after God's own heart. But the devil in one day went down there, killed all his camels, all his donkeys, all his sheep, and had a whirlwind come and kill all his children. His whole, all his children. And these, these people that lived through the, the attacks would run one at a time to Job and say, I mean, Job, you ain't going to believe I'm the only one left surviving. This was what happened to all your camels. This is what happened to all your sheep. And then somebody come and told him about his children, and he just sank down in the dust, tore his clothes, and just began to weep. Now, this ain't just some fairy tale. This happened. And I want you to think for a moment. All the little ways that you've, I mean, you've worked your whole life to get your house the way you want it, and your yard, and all your stuff. you got this car you're so proud of, and all, and your family. 
You wouldn't, nobody could touch your family, man. You would fight. What if somebody came and it all was taken away in one day? And Job just began to weep. I mean, I, can, I can't imagine having everything and then having nothing. He kept his wife. But I don't know if that was any big thing if you hear what she says later. But anyway, Job, he could have said, this ain't fair. And he could have whined and complained. But he said, this is what he said. He said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he did not curse God. He passed the test. Say, pass the test. He passed the test. Well, sometime later, the devil goes back before God. God says, what you doing now, devil? He said, I'm walking to and fro on the earth. He said, did you see how Job did? He said, yeah. He, he held on this time, but it's because, you know, He's got his health. You know, when people don't have their health, he'll curse you like anybody else. See, the devil thinks he's playing God, but God's actually playing the devil. That's the way it always is. The devil said, okay. I mean, God said, okay, well, go down there, and I'll let you strike his health. Just don't kill him. The devil said, cool. I got him now. He goes down to the earth, and he strikes poor old Job with bulls to the bottom of his feet, all the way to the top of his head. This itchy, scratchy, nasty sores all over his body. And Job's got nothing but to sit down in a pile of dust and ashes. And he's sitting there with broken pieces of pottery, scratching himself. He's got nothing. He had everything days ago, and now he's got nothing. He don't even have his health. He's just sick, and he's sore, and he's hurting, and he's in pain. And then three friends come, and all, they all blame it on him. And then his wife. Now, some people say, well, his wife had lost her children too. I'm sure she's heartbroken. Maybe she's looking at Job saying, Job is, I can't stand to see him like this. I don't know why she said it. Maybe she just lost her faith. But his wife comes out there and says, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? You've lost everything. You're sitting there with nothing. You're barely holding on to life. And the one person you got left tells you to curse God and die. Anybody ever been that bad off? But Job did not do it. He would not curse God. Say he passed the test. Reminds me of David. That time David, and before he became king, you know, he'd already been anointed to be king, but in the meantime, the king Saul is trying to kill him, and David's got his mighty men that he calls mighty, but really a ragtag group, and they're, they're out gallivanting in the country one day, and they come back to Ziklag where their home base was, and an enemy had came in in the night and stole away all their wives and children. The, all the men, all the people that were belonged to David and his mighty men were stolen. And all their stuff. And so they're in a similar, the whole group is in a similar situation as Job. They have nothing. 
They left being blessed and they came back with nothing. Everything that they loved and treasured is gone. And the men despaired so that they, they wanted to take it out on somebody and they were pointing at David, let's stone him. David didn't do anything, he lost his stuff too. But because he was the leader, they always point at you. And so they wanted to stone David. And so I can imagine if many of us were David, we'd say, this ain't fair. God, you anointed me a king a long time ago. I'm supposed to be the king, and I'm out here, and the king's trying to kill me, and I'm walking through, I'm out here with these crazy guys, and now they done stole all my stuff. Man, I'm telling you, if there's ever a time where you could get down, Job and David experienced it. But that's not what David did. See, David was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. Instead, instead, is that a word? Instead, instead of getting mad, blaming God, instead of giving up, quitting, it says David strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean? Sound like he rejoiced. He rejoyed. He strengthened himself. I don't know what it meant exactly, but he got it. He stirred himself up. Many of you know what I'm talking about. When that devil comes against you in some kind of way, is trying to hurt your family, coming against your finances, coming against your health, you got sometimes you got to re-strengthen yourself. I got to remember who I am. I got to remember I'm the child of the king, like Becky said, because I'm starting to let the devil whoop me, and that ain't supposed to be. And so he said, I got to strengthen myself. I got to strengthen myself in the Lord. So I, he probably started praying, and then he went to the priest, and he said, ask God, are we supposed to go back and get our stuff? God said, you go get it. I'm giving it back to you. Now, would God have given it back to him if he had sat down there and cried and mully grubbed? I wonder. I don't know. But David didn't give God that choice. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. And the Lord said, go get your stuff. Now David and his men, he rallied them too. You know, when somebody will stand up for the Lord, it rallies other people. You want to be a leader? Then you stay strengthened in the Lord. People will follow you. And so they head off to get their stuff back. Meanwhile, the king Saul and his son Jonathan are in a battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines overpower and kill Saul. King Saul and Jonathan. Well, David, they go get their stuff back. They find that none of their kids are harmed, none of their wives are harmed, and they bring them back home safely. Not only do they bring their loved ones back, they bring all their stuff that it was still there in the camp because they had run those enemy off and killed most of them. And then they had all the enemy stuff. So they had extra stuff. And they're coming back rejoicing. Man, you can imagine the joy of getting all your stuff and your family back when you thought they were gone. That's the kind of turnaround God does. And so David's so excited that he takes the extra stuff that they got and sends it to the leaders in Israel, in Judah, as a gift. Just at the right time. And they say, you know what? Saul and Jonathan are gone. Let's make David king. 
just days after he could have quit and give up, now he's made king of all, of, well, he started with Judah and then eventually all of Israel. What would happen if he wouldn't have strengthened himself in the midst of his battle, huh? Say, David passed the test. Do you ever look at your trials as a test? Can you see past where you're at at the moment? Beyond that to see maybe something bigger is happening. Maybe something bigger is about to happen. But what about poor old Job? He lost his family. He can't get that back. It says in the last chapter of Job, the 42nd chapter, after like 39 chapters of his friends trying to figure it out, reasoning why it happened. It's your fault, Job. You must have done something wrong. All his friends pointing his finger and him fighting back, and they're trying to reason how God is. Don't spend 39 chapters of your life trying to reason out everything. Just put your trust in God like you should and get on with it. I can tell you there's people 80, 90 years old, I'm still trying to figure out if I believe in God or not. You better hurry up. <laughs> Good night. In, in Job 42.10, it says, when Job prayed for his friends. In other words, he got his mind off of his situation. That's a good way to begin to re-strengthen and rejoice, is get your mind off of your situation and pray for somebody else. Because there's always a Job out there. There's always somebody out there worse than you. Well, Job, I don't know who, who was worse than him, but he prayed for his friends and the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. In verse 13, it says he also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. So he got, his he got a family back. He named his first daughter Jemima, the second Kezia, and the third Karen Hoppick. Where do they get these names, Karen Hoppick? Why did you burp, burp at the table? Oh, not Karen Hoppick. <clears throat> in, all, in all the land, no one, none of the women were as lovely as Job's daughters. And their father put them into the wheel along with their brothers. Now listen to this. In, in verse 16 it said, Job lived 140 years after that. Living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died, an old man who had lived a life, a long and full life. You know, historians and people that try to guess about things in the Bible, they estimate that Job's misery, the time that he spent sick and, and mourning and stuff, was probably a nine to ten month period of his life. How small that seems in comparison to the next 140 years that he lived with double. See, you got people out there that are looking for permanent solutions to a temporary problem. They're committing suicide and all these things. They think it's so bad right now, I've got to do something. They don't know that they may live to see four more generations after them. 
See, it's never so bad that it can't get better, especially when God is a God of turnarounds and do it quickly. Yeah, pastor, but you know, we'll always have to carry around that grief of losing this first round of children. And I'm sure he did. There ain't no getting past that. But you know what? God put his trust, I mean, Job put his trust in God. And he knew he would see them again in heaven. I know that's not much comfort. It sounds like something you say at a funeral, but you got to realize that everything God does is in light of eternity. We're stuck in this time, space, and dimension and these little few years we get and we can't see past that. But God's, he's looking at this time as just a breath, a moment in comparison to eternity. If he took Job's children home, he just took them home early. They weren't complaining, believe me, once they got to heaven. When we begin to see things in light of eternity, we can better endure this light affliction that we're going through. For Job, for David, for you, it's just a test. Life here on earth is just a test. There's no situation so dire that we can't find a reason to rejoice. Because I'm going to... Well, you know, when you talk like this, people think... You're making light of what I'm going through. And I'm not. I'm not just, I'm not saying that there's not time to cry. And there's not time to mourn. We go through all, there's a season for everything under the sun. We go through so much. And, and when you lose a child or you lose a loved one, it, nobody's saying that's easy. And that you just got to rejoice and shake it off. No, God gave us motions. God gave us feelings. And we go through mourning. But we don't do it alone. We don't do it as those without hope in the world. We do it in light of eternity. Some things we may never understand on this side of eternity. That's where your faith kicks in. You just got to trust in the character of the one that you've given your life to. The one who holds eternity. Because <laughs> if you don't focus in on the negative all the time, just looking at your situation, just living in the situation, never looking above it, pecking around in the dust like a bunch of chickens. It will zap your strength. It will sap your joy. You will never get to the place, this abundant life that God is trying to get you here. Some of us would have never recovered from what Job went through. Some of us would have quit when we were in David's situation. But God is saying, don't do it. Keep looking unto me. Let me let you in on a little secret. As Christians, we've already won the spiritual lottery. It's not really a secret. In fact, it's a secret you should want to tell everybody. I've already won. My Lord has already overcome death, hell, and the grave. For me, death is just a promotion. 
I shall not fear what man can do unto me because God is for me. And if God be for me, who can be against me? I am an eternal creation with the conquering spirit. I am more than overcomer in him who loved me. I have the victory already. 1 Peter 1.4 says, now we live with great expectations. That's how we're supposed to live. See, an expectation is throwing your vision out there, not looking right in front of you. An expectation is out there. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. It's not going anywhere. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, at least the fullness of it, which is ready to be revealed at the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. That's what we're talking about today. There is wonderful joy ahead. And even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. You just need to pass the test. See, these trials are just a test. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. See, this is a test you want to pass. Because how you respond down here in your trials reveals your character, your faith. And that is what God is looking at. And that's what you're going to be rewarded upon in all of eternity. And I can tell you, it's three billion years from now, you're going to be somewhere. And you're going to be looking back at this 90, 100 years that you lived here. And you're going to say, man, I wish I would have been different. Because it is affecting everything from this point forward. Earth is just a testing ground. That's all this life is. It's a testing ground. And the devil, well, he's just a crash test dummy. He's a punching bag for us to learn to work our faith out. God sends him down here with a mission. And God makes a fool out of him every time he comes back. Well, I've been walking to and fro on the earth. He's just somebody for us to practice on down here. To get ready to rule and reign for all eternity. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of them that love him and are called according to his purposes. God has got his hand on everything. If the devil, his enemy, has to report to him, everybody reports to him. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows all about it. And, and though it may look like the devil's winning in your life, he's not. If you'll keep your faith on, and eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Paul and Silas, man, they sang in that midnight hour. When they were down in the deepest dungeon, they had been beaten and bloodied and bruised. And I can imagine how 
They're in the stocks down there in the pitch black. One of them starts to sing. Let's sing a hymn to God. And like, what? Right now? Okay. They start to singing, and, and God's power comes. God says, That's, they passed the test. They passed the test that they can sing in the middle of the dungeon down there. They passed the test. Let's fling open the doors and let everybody out. <laughs> and it was the same Paul who wrote 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, that's why we never give up. Some of you are saying, when's my test going to be over? I don't know, but don't give up. Though our bodies are dying... Our spirits are being renewed every day. See, it's the spirit on the inside of you is who you really are. For our present troubles are small, and they won't last long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Things of the spirit. Things that's behind the scenes, working all things together for our good. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see, they'll last forever. See, Christians are eternally minded folk. We got to think like God. We got to see the big picture. And the Holy Spirit is the proof. And he is the power on this side. He's our down payment. That's how we know that we're saved. That's how we know that we're going to overcome. Ephesians 1.13 says, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you his Holy Spirit. He gave you his own spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is not down here complaining. That's your flesh. You got to side with the Spirit, not with the flesh. The Holy Spirit saying, get up, boy. Let's get to work. He gave you his own Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. That what we got in heaven is stored up for us. And that he has purchased us to be his very own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. See, when you keep rejoicing in the midst of your problems and trials, that's bringing praise and glory and honor to your Father. That's what he likes. God... God is not pleased if there's no faith in it. In Acts chapter 14, Apostle Paul and Barnabas are on their missionary journey. They go to this one crazy town, I can't remember the name of it, like Lyconium or something like that. And they're preaching the gospel, you know. And Paul looks and he, he sees a man lame from birth and he says, he, he recognizes this man has the faith for his whole situation to turn around. This man standing there, he's not standing there, he's sitting there, but he's about to be standing there. And Paul says, I, I, I perceive that you have the faith to be healed. And he says, stand up and walk on your feet. And this lame man who had never walked jumps up and walking around and all these crazy people, they run off. And I can imagine Paul and Barnabas said, where did I don't know, where'd they go? Well, a few minutes later, they come back with some cattle and stuff, and they're ready to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas because they said, the gods have come down with us, and now we're going to make a sacrifice to you guys. And Paul and Barnabas' eyes must have been about that big. No, no! We're not gods. We're trying to tell you about God. We healed this man by the power of Jesus. 
And they had to do everything they could to keep these people from sacrificing to them like they were gods. Well, the next day, the Jews came in, started talking to these same crazy folks. And they got them all upset. And so the same people that wanted to make a deity out of Paul took Paul outside the city and stoned him. Now, I don't know about you. When I read somebody got stoned, it usually means they died. They left him for dead outside the city, but Barnabas went out there with some more Christians and picked Paul up and carried him into the city. He was alive. I don't know if God resurrected Paul or whether he didn't die all the way, but it says the very next day he was back on the road preaching again. I think God must have had something to do with it because if you get hit by enough stones, I'm sure there's some broken bones. But he is back on the road the next day. He ain't even taking a break. But is Paul, does that, say, does that seem like your life a little bit? One day, man, your boss wants to give you a raise, and the next day he's giving you a pink slip or something. People are kind of fickle and crazy down here. If you counting on people down here, no wonder you acting crazy. They want to make you a god one day and stone you the next. See, that's why we can't keep our eyes on this stuff down here. So what did Paul do? Did I'm quitting all this preaching stuff. I came here and all I'm trying to do is help. And they stoned me. Some of y'all, y'all quit working in the nursery if they scheduled you two weeks in a row. Paul got stoned, got up, went to work the next day. (laughs) Paul didn't get upset. He didn't get mad and frustrated. He wasn't ready to quit. And in fact, just the verse down after this story, in Acts 14, 22, Paul was strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. He's exhorting them. He's the one just got stoned. And saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now there was, some of you saying there's never been more true words spoken. And nobody's ever hid that fact that being a Christian is a hard road to take. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulations. But then he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Don't focus on the tribulations, focus on me. One time the apostles were beaten just for preaching in the name of Jesus. And it said they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' name. We can't find a reason to rejoice. These guys are rejoicing because they got beaten. I'm sure you can find something to rejoice about. (laughs) We have every reason to rejoice. If nothing else, it's because our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Because we won that spiritual lottery. It really isn't a lottery. You were chosen. 
I started to talk about heaven for a moment as I was putting my notes together here. And I jotted down some things. And I don't know, it's just the songwriter in me. I started rhyming stuff. So it's, re- it's elementary. Didn't take me long to do it, but I just I, I went with what came out of my spirit. So I didn't want to change it up and make it perfect or nothing. So this is the way it came out. Heaven is just around the corner. Jesus is preparing us a special place for every last one who will run their race. There's no blind, deaf, or lame, no sickness, sorrow, suffering, or pain, no death, decay, no debt, or getting old, no potholes on those shiny streets of gold, a new body, a new nature, no more sin, no more fussing and fighting, no fox or CNN. No mockers, no liars, no enemies of the truth, just a kingdom where all things are made new, reunited with friends and family who've gone on before, who'll be waiting on you when you walk through that door. No injustice, no prejudice, a place where right is right. There'll be no more darkness, no cover of night, no time limits, no deadlines, just an eternity of bliss. No darkness, no devil, no time for that hate of his. No more this is yours, this is mine. It's a place where God's glory will always shine. And it's not just a place that I long for, but to be with my Jesus forevermore. Amen. And every word of it is true. Every word of it is true. And you know what? Especially that last line. Because even now when I go through hardships and tribulation and whatever battles I'm facing here, I'm able to get through it because I know Jesus is with me. It's his relationships is the best part of Christianity. It's knowing him and talking to him and having counsel from him and his his Holy Spirit in you. It's your relationship with Jesus that makes it so much more special than just being a place. It's being with him where he is, and that's what makes it special for him because he said, I want you with me. I go to prepare a place for you that you may be with me where I am. Jesus said in Revelations the second and third chapter, that if we overcome, we'll get nine things when he's speaking to the churches. He said if we overcome, we'll get permission to eat of the tree of life. He says we'll receive a crown of life. If we overcome and endure to the end, we'll have access to partake of the hidden hidden manna. I don't know what what hidden manna is, but it sounds tasty. We'll receive a white stone with a new name engraved on it if you're an overcomer. We'll be granted power over the nations. You'll receive the morning star. Once again, I don't even know what some of these are, but I'm sure they're good. We'll be clothed in white raiment. We'll become a pillar in the temple of God with God's name engraved upon us. And I love number nine. If we overcome, if we endure till the end, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we keep rejoicing and 
passing the test will be granted permission to sit with Christ in his throne. How many of you just want to be close to him? Then that, that alone should spark you to pass the test. Now there's hard times. None of it makes sense sometimes. Jesus spent three days in a tomb, six hours on a cross. Nobody understood that at the time. They were like, this makes no sense. We thought he was the Messiah. How could this be good? But yet it provided salvation for all of us. Because what we, we didn't, we was looking at the things that we could see, but Jesus knew the things that we couldn't see. He kept his eyes on the spiritual prize. And it turned out to salvation to all of us who would believe. And because Jesus was willing to go to the lowest places, he humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross, because he was willing to go to the lowest parts of the earth. God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if Jesus suffered more than all of us and set an example, then suffering may not be such a bad thing as you think it is. Some of you have lived lives, you didn't reach the place you thought that you were going to be because of situations beyond your control. And Maybe you've had to look after a loved one your whole life. Maybe you had a child with a sickness or a disease and, and you had dreams but you had to put them on hold. You don't understand why you... You don't think God is impressed with your devotion to others? What could be more godly than giving up your plans for someone else? Okay, so you didn't become the next Billy Graham... But it says many in heaven that are first here on earth will be last in heaven. We don't know how God judges. But we got to do the best that we can with what we got. And I can tell you, you're not going to do that unless you take time to rejoice. No matter the circumstances. Am I preaching good? Well, Pastor, in a lot of ways, you're, you're, you're setting me up to fail. I, I like to hear faith words that I'm only going to prosper and be in health and everything is going to, you know, speak those. But if you're not suffering right now, there will be, be a day when you are because we live on planet Earth. There will be a test. And I'm just preparing you for the test. Like the test when I walked in that swimming pool and my ex-girlfriend was in there with that big meathead bodybuilder fella. What do you think I did? <laughs> well, I ain't do nothing. Are you crazy? That dude was big. <laughs> I looked like a broomstick in some parachute pants. I was skinny back then. I wasn't finna do nothing. <laughs> I, I went to the other end of the pool and sat down and acted like I didn't see him. <laughs> but you know what about six months later she came back wanting to get back together old meathead didn't didn't do it for her she wanted old parachute pants 
But by then, I had gotten over her. And we went out a few times after that. I thought, you know, she was the one. But then I, the, once I was seeing clearly and the fog had lifted, so to speak, <laughs> of that in love feeling, I saw a lot of things that I didn't, didn't, wanna, didn't think was so special after all. And you know what? As gut-wrenching as it was and heartbreaking to go through that breakup, I would do it a hundred times again on the off chance that I would meet the true love of my life right here. Just on the off chance that I would find Angie. Because without Angie, I don't even know where my kids are. Let's see. Josh is working back there. Kaylee's AWOL. But they're good kids. And I wouldn't trade them for any kids in the whole world. And see, I thought, man, the, sometimes it's darkest right before the dawn. Sometimes you think this is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. But God is behind the scenes pulling the levers. And He is setting you up to get to you where you need to be. If we could see behind... We could see into the Spirit, we would see that God is working all things together for our good. In the process, sometimes we got to go in and bear it. <laughs> but we have every reason to rejoice. Amen? Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Hey,